0: Good evening and welcome to Spirit Radio. I am your host, Willie Hassel. Along with my co host, Lynn Nickerson, we will take you on a journey a journey into the unknown where the paranormal becomes the normal, a journey to a world cloaked in darkness where reality becomes a thin veil. So sit back, relax, and join us as we venture into the shadows, the darkness, the unknown. And back. Good evening, everybody. Welcome once again to Spare Radio, the paranormal experience. I'm Willie Hassel, along with the lovely, the mystical, the mysterious Lynn Nickerson. Good evening, how
1: are you? Good evening, Willie. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing good. Good. Good.
0: This is uh, it's a little different for us.
1: Yes, we have a little different approach this time. Yeah,
0: we are. Uh, Broadcasting from the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire, and this is the uh, the final day of Spirits Week,
1: and we have a panel here, and we're going to be asking them questions, and we also have an audience, an active live audience, actually, That's right. and um, I'll be asking the panel some questions, and if if after their response you have something you'd like to ask them. Feel free to come up the mic, if you would, and address the, the panelists. Okay, all
0: right. So, so on our panel today, we have, uh, first of all, Andy Kitt, who is the uh, director, the owner of uh, the KRI Center. We have Mike Stevens, who is also uh, part of the Center, and he is the uh, founder and director of Granite Sky Services. Val LaFaso is also part of the, uh, the Center here, and she is an, a psychic empath. And we are, let's see, we have uh, Dennis Stone and his daughter-in-law, Kat, who are from uh, America's Stonehenge in North Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, Dennis has been on the radio show several times before. We have...
2: They're all great guests.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. We have from the uh, New Hampshire Astronomical Society, we have Tom Cocciaro, and we have Donna Henley. Hanley, I'm sorry. She's a uh, psychic empath, a psychic medium, and she is going to be doing a uh, gallery leading reading later on in the evening.
1: Oh, that'll be fun.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, that that sounds uh, sounds interesting. So, you want to?
1: Yeah, well, we've already had a couple of speakers, so I think I'll address them first. And then, um, since I don't know exactly what everybody else is going to say after we're off air, I'm going to ask a couple of questions that may eventually be answered during their presentation. But I'll start with that now. So, Andy, that was a great presentation, really interesting. Now, so I have a question for you. Um, this DNA thing, you mentioned that there are several different tribes that they've found, and one of the ways of differentiating them in them is the black hair or the red hair and then the variation in heights. Tribes don't necessarily indicate different different DNA. Tribes can be from, like, the same language, cultural groups, say, like the Algonquins, and then you've got the Mi'kmaq and the Passamaquoddy and so forth. How many, not tribes, but how many races of these giants do you think there are?
3: Uh, Looking at the literature, I would assume there's at least five, but there there could be many more. Uh, How many more, I don't know. I can't even speculate. Uh, All I did was a review of other people's work. So I haven't done done in-depth research myself. Mm -hmm. I've uh, reviewed other people's work and picked out items that I felt were uh, supportable.
1: Yeah, of course, it would have to just be your opinion, but since you've done so much research, I was wondering what you felt about that. Um, the Sasquatch, for instance, they feel that there are about five tribes of them as well, or I should say five different species, because they are found all across
3: the world. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's not so different. So, But, yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at humans. I mean, there's there's several different uh Uh, Great variation. Familial groups in, you know, individual countries, you know, uh, even countries that are relatively uniform.
1: Okay, good. Thank you. Let me see. So, the Smithsonian Institute. Yes. Why do you feel that they might be wanting to squelch this information?
3: I kind of covered that already, but I, I... There was a time when it really looked like a deliberate act. Uh, After that, though, uh, honestly, I don't think they did do it deliberately. I think it's just a carry-on of past mistakes. Uh, Some of it is that the information was already gone. Uh, Some of it was uh, appealing to uh, Native American requests. Uh, The thing we know is that at least some of the information, at least some of the the hard data, some of the objects that were dig up did go to the Smithsonian. Uh, It is on record that they took them in. They Mm -hmm. aren't there anymore, but that's not necessarily indicative of a conspiracy. Uh, That could just be bad bookkeeping. Some of it, uh, like I say, they they had to return a number of the Native American objects to the, the regions they, they yeah. received them from. So is it a conspiracy now? Probably not, but at least at one point there was a deliberate effort to suppress anything that would promote uh, Native American claims to U.S. soil.
1: But we know that these, we pretty much know that they are Native American, right?
3: Well, they are certainly more Native than Columbus was.
1: Yeah, but not as um, Native American as the North American Native
3: Americans, Right wouldn't you say? Uh, define that, you know. I mean, how native do they have to be? I mean, I'm pretty Native well, I'm American now, right?
1: I'm indicating a different species, actually. But anyway, I think maybe part of this this suppression might have something to do with embarrassment that uh, the Smithsonian might be up against if they were to say that, yeah, we lost the bones, we destroyed the bones. But it's it's not only that. For instance, the uh, Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. they found... Um, caves that had what were called computers, all kinds of um, Egyptian artifacts, right. Egyptian-type artifacts. I mean, that whole thing. Yeah, there's is an Welsh. entire
3: branch of the Grand Canyon that's named after that's true. Egyptian ceremonial or yeah. religious uh, figures.
1: But the, yeah, that that is kind of curious. But why would it? Why would there be a denial about having found this cave full of these? Egyptian-type artifacts, and they're on a large scale?
3: Well, that's always the question. If you're dealing with a conspiracy, well, the reason they're doing it, is they are trying to keep hidden. If it's just an accident, is there—at some at least some of the Native American objects, we understand accident, treaty— uh, things that were dug up, uh, uh, old objects, bones that were dug up uh, uh, recently could have just literally self-destructed. That's not uncommon for bones that were buried in wet soil to be identifiable as bones in the soil, but attempts to remove them, destroy them, uh, depending on the age. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reasons that the stuff could have have come apart. Uh, What the real reason is, Don't know, I'm not speculating.
1: Okay, still up for good. But identifying
3: that they received objects is that is a certainty. They they did.
1: Okay, then last quick question. Did you study any of what's been written about what they found down in Antarctica?
3: not in this event Uh, that is highly speculative so I left anything related to Antarctica off the presentation.
1: Okay, well I'll just mention that supposedly they have found um, several different things. One is a race of giants, like 60 foot tall giants. Um, It's not clear whether these were dead or alive or like in a cryogenic state, but again they found giants. but It's all been hush-hushed. Okay, thank you very much, Andy. I'm going to move on to Dennis and Cat.
3: <clears>
1: by the way, I, I wanted want to open it up any questions on that? Did anybody has a question for Andy? Okay.
3: It's
1: nice to know I covered the details <laughs> <So brilliant>. <laughs> <laughs> Um Dennis, you mentioned having found that it, what was it, 1964 54 um, the Whirl like um yeah, an artifact—a of a, a design of the world that indicated Viking visitation or occupation—was that like the spiral?
4: Actually, design? that was the one um, up at Lonzo Meadow with the Vikings, and it was a Early Sites Foundation, um, one of the members' uh, child. And uh, I believe it was around 1960. So, oh, okay. National Geographic, the husband and wife team, and the Early Sites Foundation. So it wasn't at our site, but they did uh, work on our site for about ten years. That particular group from 54 to 1964. So that was a separate, you know, artifact.
1: <clears throat> okay, that was in 54 that they discovered that. Uh,
4: the group formed in 54. Uh, the year oh, I was subsequent born. Subsequent to I that. Giving away my age. And it, uh, <laughs> And it. Uh, and the group folded up just in about 1964. So I believe that Stone World was found around 1960 when they were really working on Lonzo Meadow, I believe.
1: Okay. Now you also mentioned, well, not you had mentioned to me previous, that um, you're going to get a, a forester in there to help uh, open up the alignments. Now, what do you think is hidden there? But do you think it'll
4: reveal? Well, we don't know that yet. (laughs) What are you looking Uh, for? We'll find out. We are finding many, many things in the last few years. You know, we found serpentine walls. I think we have 12. Uh, We have about 13 windows. One was found about three weeks ago when the uh, History Channel was up doing a little filming. And uh, it was that day, the camera crew was just finishing up, and we were walking back, and we found another possible portal or window. So we're still finding things very recently. Okay. Uh, more quarried stones, huge slabs that were removed from the bedrock, propped up, are being, being found all over the hilltop.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Does that include, the like, the 33 slabs of yeah, cord stones? Yeah, yeah. And where are both of those located?
4: Uh, basically, um, all over the hill, uh, oh. north, south, east, and west. And what they were doing is just stripping off bedrock for building material. Okay. And they look like roof slabs. They're usually pretty big. You're a couple of small ones that might have been used for wall slabs. But um, the first one was found in 1982 by one of our staff members. She was sitting on it. Uh, having a picnic out in the middle of the woods. But she had been informed with the rest of the staff by Dr. David Stewart-Smith what to look for. Maybe a stone that's been raised up, a big slab, possibly the edge of it s- serrated where they had been shaping it. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting there having a the picnic, looked down, and sure enough, the stone seemed to be elevated. And there was some leaves and debris around it. She probably removed a little bit and noticed a, great, a pretty good-sized stone you know, holding the stone up, and then the edge of it was serrated where they had been doing percussion flaking. It's kind of like napping an arrowhead, if you will, on a grand scale.
1: Okay, working on the hypothesis, a hypothesis being a tentative assumption that sacrificial rites did go on there, what is your feeling of the purpose of the different niches in the Oracle Chamber?
4: That's a great question. You know, um, they are like niches or little closets, yeah. and they really wouldn't serve any purpose for, say, a shoemaker or a farmer. You know, they, a lot of work went into build. It's a lot. Of, you can build a wall, When you start adding little niches and stuff. It's a lot more work. Um, one of them has actually a bench seat carved into the. Uh, the glacial boulder, if you will, 90-degree bench seat, probably could hold two people, and what it's looking at is one of the closets. So perhaps they put some sort of an offering in there, a votive offering, or something like that. It just don't make sense other than that. But there are five of those Mm -hmm. and a possible bed in there, you know. There's a lot of features in there, a lot of unexplainable features, if it was just a storage area, a meat locker, or a place to put apple cider barrels, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that.
4: Yeah, and it's shaped like a Y, too. The whole thing has a really neat design, if you look at it. It's not just a rectangular, square, it has a really neat design to it, including uh, one of the roof part of it is corbelled. belt has this corbelling right. kind of thing to it. A lot of details.
1: All right. Have you had mm. any psychics on the property mm. that have given you an indication that perhaps those little niches could have been used for sacrificial items or rather, um, I should say, well, offerings like blood or bone? I kept mm. getting the sensation body parts. Was that? I was in there. I kept hearing body parts. Yeah. Has anyone else come back with that?
4: Not that particular one. We have no. had uh, psychics over the years since the 1960s. Uh, mm-hmm. Hans Holzer was there. He brought up four in one particular year yeah. separately. I think one of them was Ethel, Ethel Myers. I remember that name.
1: Yes.
4: And uh, three others. And they they were not supposedly in communication with one another. They were brought up three different parts of, uh, four different parts of that year. And they did come up with um, uh, their... their S- sensed like a I think a, a, a smaller person kind of like a darker complexion but also another group that were taller and
1: mm-hmm. if it was just
4: one you know you could kind of yeah. dismiss it but I think all of them came up with a similar idea of the people that were there mm-hmm. um, and this is back in 1974.
1: Okay yeah? thank you and I want to ask Catstone a question. Um, like Willie, he's about as sensitive as a rock. I'm hoping you're going to give me more information than I,
0: I'm improving.
1: Come on. <laughs> a little bit. But have you had any kind of psychic experiences there at Stonehenge? Um, America's Stonehenge.
5: Psychic experience specifically, not really. I mean, the, I, I guess I could say the site is full of energy. Okay. Um, and it's it's, I think... Pretty much anybody that goes up there will agree with me that there's a lot of yeah, strong something. energy up on the site, mostly positive energy as well. Um,
1: uh, How about around the table?
5: I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't go around the table that often, and I, the times that I have, I haven't really paid that close attention, I guess, to uh, to the energy that yeah one would experience. Um, but I mean, just the site in general. Um, yeah, there is a lot of energy up there.
1: Have you been there, Donna? I, I have not. But okay. I
0: was just going to say, I, I noticed she keeps nodding. But. I
6: have not. But what's interesting is just watching the photos. I got a lot of positive energy, and it's it's kind of out there visions that
1: well, you and I will have to talk after yeah, the show it's about that. like
6: alien it's really even alien like i said well I have you
1: know it's not so odd because we've done uh, investigations over the james house museum in hampton and many of the investigators are coming up with the idea that they're getting alien energy too and we've had three photos in the windows of alien faces, which I never would have thought that. I just didn't go in that direction. But the photos are kind of creepy.
6: Well, so, it, yeah. It, it, things are kind of visioning with me and it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. I'm sitting there going wow, why Never
1: expected to have this come into my head, but I, well, it could be the ancestors. It, they could be the ancestors of those that perform the rites. I,
0: I don't remember, Lynn. Did you pick up on any alien at uh, Stonehenge?
1: Not at Stonehenge. No. Okay. no I
6: well, just what, what's interesting when I say alien, you know, when, when someone usually depicts an alien, they're they're white, or hmm. you know, the the craft comes down and this white light comes out. While well, the aliens really is just spirit true spirit yeah. of everything because yeah. it's all a white being
1: it's yeah. all a white
6: light sharing
1: what i kept getting really strong impressions of was um like a waiting area with a bunch yeah. of women dressed in white robes mm-hmm. and it was an honor and they were experience a little trepidation, but they were still, they felt honored for being asked, and I saw about a dozen to 15 women standing around in this holding area on the upper ground before they would be led to the table individually.
6: Right, for the message or for the uh, teaching to bring forth, but yeah.
1: Okay, thank you, Donna. And then Val, you've been there recently. This is Val from KRI. So what did you felt there?
5: Um, The first time I went there, um, to do an intuitive exploration was many years ago... and I was really new to learning how to use my intuitive abilities, but um, I do remember picking up actual sacrifices—human sacrifices—being taken place on that table. Did you um, really? I did. Um, I also felt that they were willing. It was an honor yeah, I, yeah. to be sacrificed for the people. Um, it was—it was a ritual that was very sacred, is what I felt.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, did you get the impression of them using obsidian stone?
5: I don't remember picking up on anything like that at the time. Um,
1: I kept seeing an obsidian dagger.
5: That's interesting. Um, Mm. When I was there just last weekend, um, I actually had somebody with me who um, was a student of mine recently in an intuitive development class, and it was interesting that you brought up Alien because he did pick up on um, E.T. Presence, but it was a little further out when he was closer in towards the table, he didn't sense it, but when he got further out um, to the outskirts of the site, he felt an E.T. presence there, which okay, I thought that's was interesting, interesting, and something Thank you. new to
1: me. Okay. Um, anybody in the audience have a question about America's Stonehenge, or, yes, go ahead. Would you, wait a minute, if you come up to the microphone, oh, yes, please. So as he's walking up here, we can fill the dead air. Uh, <laughs> How many minutes anybody we have left, with fully? a question,
2: you do have to come up to the microphone. So that yes. Uh, can... Hi, my name is Dan. I just wanted to do some clarification on something that was referenced during the previous session when um, the subject of windows came up. Oh, good. On the yeah. formations, because first of all, this was all new to me, you know. And I've been exposed to some of it as far as the ancient alien shows and just the intelligence aspect of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But um, And then, Donna, you had an interesting take that, similar to what you just discussed, that was more of a spirits coming and going. Yeah. Is that kind of... So, and you're saying a portal sort of going from Americas to... to Site to
6: site. Like, uh, located...
2: Worldwide?
6: Yeah. Yeah. And sharing of that information is what I feel those portals were because there were spirit beings as part of that whole
1: process Do you also feel that spirits were being called in? Yes yeah. It's a
6: very sacred site Yeah. I haven't been there but I could just feel it yeah. even sitting next to Denton I'm like, I'm just feeling the energy that he's experiencing and all I'm getting is wow, I gotta go there because it's got such positivity around the whole it's like the foundation of us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the the that's the begin. Our you know, beginnings. it's like our
6: beginnings, not not the beginnings of time, but our beginnings yep. as we existed earlier. It's mm-hmm. just very, yeah. It's powerful just sitting next to Dennis here. So
1: <laughs> he radiates.
2: He brings that yes. energy with him, <laughs> yes, and, and yes. obviously his colleague as well. So I, I, I guess perhaps maybe if you look at it, you know those, you know the. Come, the spirits coming and going then are probably somewhat pleased that, you know, some of that activity is still going on today, you know, obvious this conversation today and everybody's contribution. So I'd like to think that they're happy with us, hopefully. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you.
6: Thank you. Thank you for the question. And Just to piggyback a little bit off of that, I think because of the way the human mind thinks, we were given our bodily vessels so people can see and understand better Mm-hmm. Spirit, because we're in the human form. Whereas, you know, if someone came up to you in your white sparkling light, they woo. Like, you know, so. Yeah.
1: And another part of that um, side of the coin is incarnating back here. I feel that some of our DNA has been manipulated with, so that our access to that has been shut off, or at least diminished. Good, thank yes. you, Donna.
6: But there is another reawakening coming.
1: Yes, yes, we'll have to talk about that in a second. Um, well, I'd like to next address Tom Cochiaro. And Tom is the, you're a member of the, Nash, the New Hampshire Astronomical Society and NASA Solar System Ambassador? That's correct, yes. Wonderful. Welcome okay, to so the show, What's that?
0: I said welcome to the show, Oh,
1: yes, absolutely. Um, So we had mentioned a couple of topics I wanted to bring up. Could you explain the difference between the two things that that has been in the news lately? Number one, the passing asteroid on the outside of the solar system and MU69, which is referred to as Ultima Thule. Sure. Okay.
7: Yeah, Ultima Thule was actually a secondary or a bonus target for the New Horizons mission to Pluto. I think everybody probably had a chance to see that back a couple of years ago. Um, took us 10 years to get there, and and during that time, uh, they they uh, they decided that they would try for a second after they passed. Pluto. They decided on trying to do a, a second target, uh, Ultima Thule. It was in a place in its orbit where they felt that they could guide New Horizons. They had enough fuel, etc., to guide New Horizons to it. I actually have a friend, Ted Blank, who was involved with the group that was trying to nail down its orbit. Uh, they went to South Africa and to South America. Um, with telescopes to do what they call uh, asteroid occultation. And what that is is the... Uh, uh, to uncover is, it? What's that? To uncover it? To, to actually spot it, uh, oh. to spot it and to nail it down you know, in its orbit. What it is is um, uh, an asteroid occultation occurs when an asteroid comes in front of a star. And that shadow actually passes Earth. And I'm talking about the shadow being very narrow and having to be in an exact place on the face of the Earth at the exact right time to be able to see it happen. And it takes between one and four seconds that that... Star blinks out for just that momentary time, and uh, again, uh, the weather was uncooperative, etc. But they were finally able to get it, and so uh, you probably saw pictures of it just recently. It looks like a, a two-bald snowman, uh, two asteroids actually stuck together at the at the hip.
1: And isn't uh, that only about 10 miles
7: wide? Yeah, it's it's very small. very small. And it's it's you know somebody likened it to hitting a golf ball from New York to uh, getting a hole in one in San Francisco. San Francisco. I mean, it, it just just being an astronomer, it's the distances are mind-boggling you know, when four you think about miles, it. Isn't it. A ten-year mm-hmm. travel and avoiding anything else that's in between you and your target, etc. is just. A, I look at it as kind of a, a miracle of, of technology and science. It's just.
1: Does it have an erratic
7: orbit? It, it, you know, it's in the Kuiper Belt, and it's following the same kind of orbits that the rest of the objects orbiting the sun are. Okay. Uh, but we, we talked about a, a second asteroid that uh, last year was discovered that actually came from outside of our solar system. It's called Oumuamua, and um, a lot of unusual things about it. Uh, the fact mm-hmm. that it crossed through Earth's orbit, and it's coming from a from a, a direction where it's going to cross through our entire solar system it's not going to you know go from uh, in the same plane or you know it's it's going to pass through but it passed through close to the earth within uh, uh, within a short enough distance where our radio telescopes could actually Define it like it, like they do with other asteroids. And uh,
1: how big is it, Tom? I, you know, uh, supposed it's to a,
7: be. It's a, it's a, it, you know, I don't remember the exact measurements. It's a, a 400 yards long, something like that. And mm-hmm. you know, three. So it's smaller than it's the. Small, other. It's a very long uh, object. Long it's not a typical. Rock. Asteroid. Um, in fact, uh, Dr. Avi Loeb, who is at the Harvard uh, Astrophysical observatory, observ- observatory, excuse me, in Boston, actually um, uh, was quoted as saying he thought it was something other than a regular asteroid. However, if you watched the Science Channel uh, just recently, uh, they kind of. Uh, described it as a, as an old asteroid, and 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 that its color and everything was, you know, according to what you would expect for something been in space for a long time. So, there are thoughts on on both sides, but they um, uh, a lot of even scientists felt that it was something uh, other than uh, a regular asteroid. Another reason why they thought that is that its travel through our solar system didn't follow the physics of how objects, you know, are affected by gravity and so on and so forth, that it accelerated Mm. as it was going through our solar system, that its travel, you know, was unusual for an object that should have done something differently. So uh, there was a lot of excitement around it. Of course, there are differing views on on exactly what its origin was or what its purpose was here
1: um couldn't it be though that if it came really close to a large planet that it would kind of accelerate anyway because of the pull
7: well yeah but they figured out the the dynamics of it of its of its orbit and it it didn't
1: didn't didn't
7: didn't match up that something else was happening there Uh, there was some other some other forces acting on it that that
1: like it's being driven.
7: It, they didn't it yeah. didn't go you know, like like it was being driven yeah. and it wasn't moving as they expected it would move. Uh-huh. Uh, under under what they what they were able to glean from their research and tracking it.
1: And as far as its appearance, don't you suppose that it could have been cloaked somehow it could have cloaked itself?
7: Well, you know, they they saw it, but they yeah. but it but it entered it came from outside of our solar system where everybody is looking. And they weren't looking from the direction it came from. But once it entered the solar system, uh, they picked it up. But they didn't have a lot of time to actually study it. And it was a, mm. at a far enough distance where 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 the, the images were, were really muddy. They couldn't get really any fine detail on it. How
1: long a period of time did they see it?
7: Like uh, just hours months. Days? Just, just months. Just months. Just months. But, but it was traveling pretty fast. So uh, they didn't have a mm. lot of time really to study it.
1: Um, do you suppose they did not have a chance to do some kind of light? Like, there are different, um, different frequencies of light. Sure, uh, a
7: spectral analysis. Right, well, spectral they did. Analysis. They were able to establish kind of the color of it. But, you're, but you're using radio telescopes. It's such a dark object okay. that you, the light from it was, was too dim to really see it optically. Uh, they were actually... Yeah tracking it with radio telescopes.
1: And at his father's point, how far was it from Earth? Was that the 4 billion mile point?
7: You know, I don't I don't know. All I know is that it, it, it came upon suddenly, and they didn't have a lot of time to study it. Yeah, like it's I said, it now. came from a direction where nobody was looking yeah. for anything, you know?
1: And as far as the MU69, which is uh, the Ultima Thule, is the typical uh, name for it, why do you suppose that's still there because it's so small? I mean, why if it was there at the beginning of the 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 inception of the solar system, why would it have not disintegrated by now? How is it that it's still there?
7: Well, you know, it's I, it's I so don't small. I don't know what the composition is or whether they determine determined what that is. Hmm. But the idea being is there's a tremendous amount of distance between objects out there. I mean space is a pretty big place. Yeah. Even <laughs> in the asteroid belt that's orbiting between us and uh, between um, um uh, us in uh, Jupiter, um, the, the asteroids are tens of thousands of miles apart. You know, uh, the material out there is it's just, for instance, here's a, here's a, here's a, for instance, in terms of uh, a, how much space is out there. Five billion years from now, they say the Andromeda galaxy is going to merge with the Milky Way. Oh. When it does, even considering the billions of stars in each of those two galaxies, no no star is going to hit another star as they pass through one another. That's how great the distances are. Mm-hmm. You know, the gravitational effects of that will cause star formation, uh, okay. but there's not going to be a single star. And if you look at pictures of Andromeda, NASA just did, uh, uh, a magnified version of Andromeda, you uh, it's awash with stars to the point where it looks like uh, uh, just a, a white haze. There are so many stars, and the same is true of the Milky Way.
1: Okay, uh-huh. we're going to have to wrap it up here in just a second, but I do want to say the general conclusion that would probably be that it is intelligently driven then wouldn't you say
7: well i wouldn't say because i don't have all the background on it but a lot of a lot of scientists and a lot of people have are been watching it are speculating that you know it didn't act like a regular object going through that galaxy and you know who knows
1: okay so yeah. we're talking to tom gucciaro we're going to take a break here in just a minute i have a couple more questions for him when we get back so don't go away we'll be right back in a minute thank you
0: Granite Sky is proud to serve the Granite State, New England and the world via the internet with rock-solid support and personal services. There are many aspects to ufology and the experiencer is too often overlooked. At Granite Sky, their focus is on people, not proof. Granite Sky focuses on supporting those who have had extraterrestrial encounters and abduction experiences. We believe no one should have to face these experiences alone if you've been visited, visit them at www.granitsky.org. And you are listening to Spirit Radio The Paranormal Experience on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Well, welcome back to Spirit Radio The Paranormal Experience. Hey, we're broadcasting tonight from the KRI Center in Stratham, New Hampshire, the end of Spirits Week. And we have a bunch of great uh, panelists here with us tonight. And we were talking about all kinds of interesting things.
1: Okay, so we were talking with Tom Cucchiaro at the at the bottom of the hour, and Thomas uh, with the National—I'm sorry, New Hampshire Astronomical Society—and he's also associated with um, NASA Solar Systems. So before we go, I had one last question: the Hawaiian name for this long, strange asteroid that's been sighted means scout, doesn't it?
7: Yeah. That kind of thing makes things more interesting, doesn't it? It does,
1: doesn't it? And do you think that um, the same principle applies to this ultima Thule, or not?
7: You know, I don't think so. No? I, I think it was an object of opportunity. You know, um, okay. the folks, Alan Stern and his group saw it as a, as a uh, achievable target, and they wanted to find out about things that were further out in the Kuiper Belt.
1: Uh, Just your personal opinion, since you're into this stuff, what do you think about there being the possibility that mining might be going on on some of these asteroids?
7: Well, NASA actually has said that that's one of their objectives, and they're oh, really? probably within the next few years, they're going to send a mission out to an asteroid just to to see uh, yeah. how that would go. But I think ultimately, you know, we're not going to be able to, to lift everything off the Earth into space, you know, to do the kinds of things that we want to do out there. So, you know, asteroid mining, there's lots of very valuable uh, material, mineral materials yeah. on asteroids, yes.
1: Yeah, they've got some movies out where there's one about convicts being sent out to these asteroids to mine them. And that's their sentence. They have to stay on an asteroid for the rest of their life. Real fun. Um, and also, Tom, you put on different, well, not necessarily presentation, but you have telescopes. And you offer that to the public.
7: Yes, yes, we do. In fact, we're in Portsmouth once a month on the Saturday closest to the quarter moon to actually mm. share with the public. Right now, there's not a lot of interesting things other than the moon in the sky, but this yeah. summer in June and July, uh, if the weather is good and, and we're out there, we'll be able to see Jupiter and Saturn.
1: Really? Well, that's neat. Now, is there a cost to the public no, on this? No,
7: no, no, no. We do this. This is gratis. Uh, we're out there to share our a perspective on our existence with the public and to get young people interested in the sciences through astronomy.
1: Well, I'm hoping it's going to work thank you thank you that's a great service okay so we have val we have donna left and mike so on the um on the idea of ufos and whatnot um i wanted to add one thing mike Um, what has been the color of the objects that you have seen the probably the most predominant color that you've seen
8: Um, I would say predominantly white, but there's been reds, oranges. Um, We've had things where there's multiple sightings, and even seconds after the sighting, people in the group all report different colors. So, I mean, it's all, Mm. it's not something I put a lot of stock into because it's all very perception-based.
1: Well, do you find that sometimes during a sighting that people will come up with seeing different colors, like, for the same sighting? For the
8: same sighting within a group seconds after sighting it
1: well that's interesting it is it does get comes down to a uh, perception i did want to say that there's been a study done that as Many UFOs have been seen, they accelerate, and the colors change. I don't remember the sequence, but they mentioned um, yellow, white, blue, red, and that when a UFO is seen as red, it usually has stalled. It's like it's static and it's hovering. And that's what I did see as a child, a whole squadron of red UFOs out my bedroom window. So that was, I lived in East Kingston, close to peace, and uh, that was about 1961, so they were all all in formation, red UFOs, static.
8: Yeah, I, I'll get into it a little bit later this afternoon with my presentation, but I have two encounters with uh, red UFOs that were not static at all. They were actually very active. And, really? Yeah.
1: Okay, good. Yeah, I look forward to listening to that. All right, so relative to encounters, um, Has it been predominantly the grays that you've interacted with, or can you actually say? And I guess what I'm getting at is some of them are physical, and some of them are more like energy beings, and some of them seem to be able to bleed in and out of dimensions. What do you see predominantly? What do you deal with predominantly?
8: Um, In the early years, um, it was more not necessarily... Greys, but variations of different types of grays. The classic big eyes, they would vary in heights and colors. Um, I've had a lot of other type beings as well in interactions. Um, And again, I'll get into this in more detail on my presentation.
1: Okay, our radio audience, of course, can't hear that, but yeah.
8: (laughs) Um, But yeah, for the most part, it's it's varied. I've, I've had a lot of different experiences, and sometimes... Early on, it was definitely more physical beings in the
7: mm. room,
8: that sort of thing. Um, as of lately, it is more of a, a spiritual-type scenario, more of an energetic— I, I believe they can operate very much what we think spirit guides or ghosts yeah. or whatever term you want to use.
1: Okay. Um, now, Val does feel that often the ETs interact with people here or that they're present, Right here at the center um can you give us an idea of what you feel they're contributing
5: it varies um the room that we're sitting in i have it energetically protected so only only entities of any kind with our best interests can come inside we've had them outside knocking on the walls trying to get in um you know we've we've had them writing people in, for lack of a better term, um, kind of using humans really. to be able to come in and participate more like out of cu- more out of curiosity, yeah, than yeah. anything else. They just wanted to see what we what was going on, and most of the time, that's what I feel. They're just trying to see what we're saying. Mm-hmm. What do we know? What do we think?
1: Yeah, how what far along think? are we advanced? Yeah, yeah. or not? Uh, Does anybody in the audience have any questions or any um, any experiences like that that you want to share? Anybody? Yes. Know if this is a good question or not? Can you Um, reach that? I maybe can if I stand on my tippy toes. Okay, I think we can. I, I, we all, we're all. I think anyone in this room is probably involved in some kind of energy work, whether it be extraterrestrial, whether it be mediumship, or um, all kinds of energy work. So my, my question to the group as a whole, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we do what we do. But how do you? Why do you feel like what you're doing adds to the world? Why are you doing this? Is it um, how does what you do make the world a better place? How about awareness? But you want to take take that over, Val? Yeah, I'll start since
5: I'm holding the microphone. Still, for me personally, as an empath, I really struggled growing up. Um, I always felt like an outcast, an outsider, and it was it was really hard to go into a room full of people constantly feeling like a freak. Um, so when I started to understand. What being an empath was and how to use my intuition and how to manage being an empath, it became kind of my mission to help other empaths and that's kind of my top priorities. I have the, um, the empath support group once a month here at KRI to help other empaths not feel so alone
1: not so feel crazy
5: is having empaths how does that
1: affect the world positively why is it important to help empaths be better
5: because empaths bring an understanding of what other people are going through we naturally put ourselves into other people's shoes and have m- more compassion for other people and I think if the world could have more empathy it would be a much much better place that's a great I
3: it with science <laughs>
1: do you have a comment on that, Tom? That- do you have a comment? No?
3: Okay. Uh, just from a more empirical point of view, the bottom line is everything we do as humans is based on predictions of what we expect to happen. And if the patterns we expect to happen are flawed because the knowledge is flawed, then you're going to think something's going to happen, and it won't. Where our life's lives are just so much more efficient when we understand the patterns and the effects we expect to occur do occur, and just for integration and for world peace, for God's sake, for any aspect of being able to make predictions, you have to have you have to understand what those underlying patterns are. So, if there are underlying patterns of spirituality that affect our physical selves, knowing that allows us to make future better decisions.
1: You know, like though. To think. But that that is awesome. that's so, very hey, interesting. Wasn't so
3: creepy, weird science. <laughs> after all, was it? So, you are, um,
1: okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, I've, let me just say, a, a relative to that, I think that maybe short-sighted is part of it. We have incomplete information, and until we increase our awareness, which hopefully empaths are going to help us with, then we can get a more accurate idea. But it isn't necessarily that our thinking is flawed or our anticipation is flawed; it's just limited. Don't you think it's limited? What's the difference? The difference is one is wrong, the other one is it's expansive. It's still there. You you just haven't accessed it yet.
3: It's the predictions that are, are flawed. It's the predictions that are flawed. If your information, it doesn't matter if your information is wrong, distorted, or not there. You can't make accurate predictions without a complete set of underlying information. So if there's something to feel empathic about having, being able to tap into your own empathy will give you more and better information to interact with other people. Uh, the same is true uh, with quantum physics. Understanding how it works means we can make better tools that will more accurately do what we expect them to do.
1: Sure, but it doesn't mean the thinking is flawed, though. It's just incomplete.
3: It uh, doesn't mean Ms. it's Bell just incomplete because a lot of things have to contradict the information that we already have.
1: Okay, you want to make a comment?
3: Yes, as
2: a matter of fact. Thanks. This is Dan again. I wanted to make a comment and answer part of what your question as the recipient of some of the energy work they do. It's, first of all, help my faith, just simply because it confirms a lot of what's been said. So I don't have to, like, do any wondering. It's just nice to know that I feel like somebody has my back in a sense. and, And so from that end... As I said earlier today, I have a much better relationship with my dad now that he's crossed over because it's a much more positive relationship. And, you know, there's been and I and just as as a quick example, my parents, now that they're speaking again up there, asked my friend Donna to do an apology tour to all the siblings because of the complications of their relationship and how it impacted us. So if you think about how life changing that was for us, it's pretty amazing. Thank
1: you. Oh, thank you. Would anybody else like to comment? All of our seers in the audience?
9: Yeah, my name is Dave. I'd like to uh, comment a couple things. Um, when we talk about predictions or anything like that, it's always based on limited amount of information. The more information you have, the better predictions you can. But we are undergoing a change in thinking where exactly... There will be new periodic tables not based on matter that will supersede the current matter situation. Quantum physics is just starting to get into that area, and it's called field energy. Field energy operates on oscillation principles, and we often talk about vibration, but we forget that it's really an oscillation, which is very different than a normal vibration. An oscillation is a repetitive pattern. It's a cycle. And when we start to study things as cycles, then we have a totally different view of how energy works. And these cycles, we see them repetitive, how the universe works, how the planets works, how our body works. Uh, when you start thinking from the perspective of cycles, you have a whole new vision of how interdimensional uh, transportation works, how remote consciousness works, uh, because you're no longer limiting your imagination to a particular, what they call, Newtonian physics. You're going into field physics, which is an entirely different uh aspect of uh, energy.
1: Is it beyond quantum physics or a part of it is
9: a. It is a part of quantum physics. Okay. Uh, the best way you can think of it, like, even in chemistry, you see this pattern when you excite an electron, it jumps from one orbital to another. There's no in-between. It just instant jump. It's that type of energy difference that when people start talking about ascension you're going from one level of energy and it's just a jump to the next there's no in between and uh, when you get into um, these new types of periodic tables that will come out they'll be based on movement as opposed to particle substance and will be based on shape form and so, when you get into feels like uh current fields like cymatics, which is the study of how waves come together and they form shapes, just the waves uh, you know we see it often in when you look at the ocean, you know it's the waves that form the shape, not ne- necessarily the water. the water is just a visual thing, but the actual energy wave as they come and unite form shapes. And when you start to understand that, then you start getting into new healing aspects of working with waves and not working with particles.
1: Because they've done experiments with water and thinking bad thoughts around water and the the shapes in the water change.
9: Yes, very much.
1: Before you go, I wanted to ask you, could you just try to clarify as, as best you can? the difference actually between the oscillation and the vibration, uh, the oscillation is cyclical?
9: The, the uh, Yes. The os, uh, oscillation is a repetitive pattern, okay? okay? So that, uh, you know, the Earth's repetitive pattern is around the sun, okay? That's a repetitive pattern. A frequency is a repetitive pattern that is has a unique uh, time distance yeah. between the, rep, the repetition. But a vibration... It could be anything. It's not repetitive. It could be more. It could be random. It could be uh, an oscillation. But the whole point is, when we're talking about raising vibrations, uh, you're talking about an oscillation. And when when you start studying the science of oscillations and Uh, you get into a whole different field of of, of work. So
1: we're getting into different dimensions. We're also getting into um, a method for healing, a different kind of mobility for healing.
9: Yes, because theoretically um, you could do remote consciousness to any higher civilization, bring that in there, and everyone's capable of that, but that's not what's being taught. But that's what will eventually be part of, because then everybody has access to that.
1: Do you suppose that instantaneous communication with a loved one, for example, at a great distance would be part of this this oscillation principle?
9: Uh, Yes, it is. Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. Okay, well, we've got how many more minutes, Willie? I know I put you on the spot, but... Okay. So we haven't, well, I'm going to hear a little bit more from Donna. And I want to get her ideas on what she feels is happening in the world today. Donna Henley, she's a psychic medium, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and this question of ascension, and is it upon us now? Do you see that? And what do you see in the behavior of people in general?
6: Well, well, it's interesting, because like I said, I've been... Uh, searching for answers as to why I was so freaky all my life and then I finally figured out but I had to have tragic events happen in my life for that to occur. Um one was the suicide of my sister's son Ian and one was the murder of my son in 2009 and throughout those you know in this world we have such negative energy. You know, I like the question you asked about what the benefit is, right? We have such negative energy happening that this there's this vibration of a better energy arriving so one of the 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 groups that are coming more aware is a younger population the teens up they didn't have like the Catholic Church affecting thinking or any religion they're kind of free thinkers, and their vibrations are are so high. And they are rising, and it's so neat to see how people are going away from traditional religions and trying to say, you know, I need to connect shamanically with the earth, or I need to feel the vibration of the trees. Being close to a tree, oh my goodness, you hug a tree? I know, tree hugger? No, I'm talking the vibrations, and there's the whole history of the earth there.
1: But what what about the antithesis of that which would be these kids that are just so locked up into the techno world and that's all they're focusing on.
6: Yeah, and that's all the influences of the world. That's why this I think this generation of younger people who have grown up in that, are the ones who can break that. So okay, I'm saying, so
1: hopefully they're ascending, so there's yeah, they, hope that they, they yes, will.
6: Yes. But you know, what's interesting is when you look at commercials today, especially car commercials, why are they, why are they saying, oh, we're going to open the whole roof to the stars, the whole roof to the stars, right? These commercials are starting to say we need to look more and, and mellow out and take a moment to look at the stars and look at, you know, it's always out in nature because that's not what we're doing and that's what we need that's what we need more take a look at the stars see what's there open your mind get away from the box of what everybody else digs in there Mm -hmm. and i tell you when i do medium shift what i tend i've been called a soul healing medium because what i tend to do with my experiences is not just help the sitter that i'm reading for but also heal the other side okay because one of the biggest words that get in the way of healing is forgiveness Hmm. Right. And I and I was honored at the night when my son was murdered to meet his killer. He came out of the interrogation room and I said, look at me. And he wouldn't. And I held his face. and I go, I forgive you. And I think I always knew my son would die young. So it was like I, I knew that moment would come. Same thing with Ian. I knew he would die young. So I kind of, I guess, was prepared, but to be able to have that moment where I could actually forgive that person, I've never had contact with him since, and that would have been a big stumbling block for me. Mm. So a lot of the the messages that come on the other side is trying to not only heal this side, but also themselves. It's like a two-way connection, and it's it's unbelievable and humbling that I'm able to do that. It boggles do, my mind.
1: Do you find that there's more growing awareness then? Do you believe that we're going to ascend within, say, like the next 10 or 15 years? I don't...
6: I, I don't know what your definition of ascend...
1: Well, the, the greater awareness is ascending to another dimension, supposedly the fourth of the fifth, if time is not a dimension, that it would be the fourth dimension. So...
6: You can expend, do that now. You have the ability to expand now. How
1: about the general populace, though?
6: Um... I think that awareness will...
1: You think it's coming?
6: It's coming for certain groups. Um, but boy, we have such influences, especially now. Everything's technological. Mm. You really almost have to be like that commercial and take yourself out. Mm. But if you're willing, I mean, what Dave said was truly you know, water has life. I've seen it.
9: Yes, Dave, please. Um, There's a little note on Ascension, since that's an area that I work on. <laughs> Um, A lot of people have different concepts and and definitions of ascension. Um, And one thing that people uh, tend to think, which is not of of my opinion, is that uh, you ascend to a higher vibration. And I want to make a correction on that, is that life is about contrasts and you ascend by expanding the contrast of how you look at life. And that's the whole principle of, ex- of ascension. We It's like we are stuck in this particular world where everything's particles, OK? To ascend is to bypass that, to go beyond our particular world into a greater contrast. And a greater contrast is, is like saying, oh, the world is not just made of particles. It's oh, made of something okay. else. Yeah. And so your ascension, basically, the way you would measure your vibration is how can you go between these two contrasts. And the, the hmm. space, the time, the dimensions of going back and forth defines your individual vibration. Okay.
1: Okay.
9: Uh, so it's, it's not like a particular frequency of everybody's going to be, you know, three thousand hertz or, or whatever. It's your ability to experience the contrast, understand what it is, move through it, and
1: and move on. Thank All you. right. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. That's really um, helpful. I, I like that too. I think
0: yeah. Dan, have another comment? Yes. Uh,
2: we only got about five minutes thank left. You. I just had a question, and thank you for for clarifying that and. Um, First of all, I just wanted to say, as far as helping the other side, you are correct. Because if you remember correctly, my mom would never talk to me and you could never get her. And she felt like she wasn't worthy to speak to me, even in the afterlife. And we had to convince her she was. And so she now is active with us. Yes. And with you, I I find that... um, really fascinating the way that you describe that because I'm thinking of virtual reality and how you know there is a generation and there is a movie about that I think it's Ready Player One that discussed all of society now since there was a, a there was a some a, a big world war over broadband, <laughs> so, and, and that's kind of like the, the norm for everybody is the virtual reality. So do you think our exposure to that may help us to sort of maybe understand the assertion in the way you described, or would it be limiting to our comprehension?
9: No, I think, it, it's, an expan- uh, I think it's an expansion of, and on the same thing, the matrix is yes. an example of the expanding of your consciousness. Uh, where you start thinking of yourself in the particle world and you, you're thinking yourself on the imaginative world. Mm-hmm. Okay. The imaginative world is so unlimited that's okay. uh, sorry. uh the imaginative world is so unlimited that is where you're gonna find your true potential it's never going to be in, in a restricted world
2: oh my god it's so exciting <laughs> <laughs> thank you very
0: much um, We've only um, got a yep minutes, unfortunately right? we are almost out of time we only have about two minutes left can i use it up You can use it up all week, and uh, maybe one of our panelists, one of our guests, has a final comment.
1: Well, I um, also—well, I was going to throw this out and let anybody answer it, and that is, has anybody been aware of the changes in the shadows of the sun? Uh, is it possible that the, the Earth is tilted? And is a well-known fact that people who do have solar panels have to keep changing the position of them. So I was going to start with Kat and Dennis and ask them, have you noticed changes in shadows at American Stonehenge? Uh, no. No, not in particular? Yeah. yeah. So okay. Ocean, I know
4: the Earth is
7: slowly
4: tilted and changing the Yeah. So it's very slow...
7: Yeah, actually, there's a, there's a 25,000 year cycle where the poles of the Earth actually rotate from one point to another. Right now it's Polaris, and then it'll be Vegas. So yes, the shadows, we, it, it'll be such a, lo- a long time scale that we're not going to notice those changes, but shadows mm-hmm. will certainly change. And they, they change with the seasons. They the do. Earth, the Earth goes around the Sun with the axis pointed in the same direction, so during the summertime, Uh, The shadows are are shorter because the sun's higher in the sky in the winter, the shadows are longer, and that's what kind of, when I was a kid, I always thought, why is it so different in the winter than it does in the summer? It's because of the shadows and the sunshine, the fact that certain Mm -hmm. other environmental things, we have snow on the ground, the leaves are off the trees, and so on and so forth, but they do change from season to season, and they will change over that
1: long period. I was going to say the the biggest factor of that is the sun panels having to been changed because the, the direct angle of the sun is no longer the same. Have you noticed that?
7: Well, the direct change is natural. It's ha- been happening for... But mm, that months. 25,000 year cycle thing, well, okay. That, it, it changes with the seasons, and it's constantly True. changing. True, yeah, yeah. So yeah. They have to, they have to uh, uh, apply that correction. Okay. Okay, on that note, we, we have
0: run out of time, and I want to thank Andy, you know, and Mike from the KRI Center for inviting us today to do the show here, and I also want to thank all of the panelists families for uh, joining us.
1: And that would be Tom, Kat, Dennis, and Donna. Yeah,
0: and that is uh, Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience.
1: And we appreciate you all attending, and thank you very much. Have a good evening.